We've created a paradox in the United States healthcare system between access with an A and excess with an E. What impact will this paradox have on the practice of medicine? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Pulse of Healthcare. I am your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, and my guest is Governor Richard D. Lamb, Center for Public Policy and Contemporary Issues at the University of Denver, and author of two books focused on the paradox of U.S. healthcare, The Brave New World of Healthcare, and Condition Critical, A New Moral Vision for Healthcare. Governor Lamb and I are discussing how this access excess issue came about and what we can do to change it. Governor Lamb, welcome to Reach MD. Dr. Bloom, my pleasure. So first question is, what do we mean by this paradox of access versus excess? The phrase is not unique with me. Uh, a number of scholars have noted the irony of having 44 million people uninsured at the same time. There's really strong evidence that some people get too much care. So it's really that paradox where you have need sitting right next to uh, excess that, that sort of frustrates so many public policymakers. And when we talk about lack of access, help us define that. Who are we talking about and what is it that they're lacking? Well, that's an important question because I think access is a two-factor. Sometimes it's just simply lacking access, uh, physically access to a hospital or to a physician. Think rural America. But mostly we're talking about simply people having the inability to pay or not being covered by health insurance. So there's really three different categories I think are useful to look at. One is the insured, then the uninsured, and then there's this new category. Well, I guess it's not new, but it's been around for some time, but it's now growing in, in importance, and that's the underinsured. We're finding a shocking percentage of people who declare bankruptcy because of health care costs did have health insurance. So I would think those three categories would be useful. Let's talk a little bit about that underinsured group. So help us to understand how somebody could have health care insurance and still not be able to afford health care. Well, what's happening in America um, very dramatically, I think, is increased costs result in decreased access. What happens is employers often, which is the bulk of our health insurance, for competitive reasons, for a variety of different reasons, but mainly just simply because healthcare is pricing itself out of the market. So employers find themselves stretched, and what they do is they try to uh, find a way to put part of the burden on the employee, which seems to me that that's a, a correct thing to do through coinsurance or co-pays, or unfortunately happens too often is they buy a thinner policy. People will run into limits or they'll run into lots of things that aren't covered. Some of these insurance policies are an embarrassment. And so underinsurance is somebody that has putatively a health insurance policy, but actually it doesn't begin to meet their needs. Do you think that a lot of these underinsureds are surprised when they come up against this monetary wall of thinking that they, they're protected and find out they're not? Surprised, um, frustrated, angry. They're, they're all of them because actually we've sort of had a, a situation in America where health care for most of our parents and, and uh, for ourselves up until the last 10 or 15 years really was a fairly comprehensive policy. Employers, I mean, Blue Cross, Blue Shield or whatever you're a coverage thing well, covered uh, virtually everything. Now, because we've invented so many things to do in healthcare, and because we're in a global uh, economy, and because costs are rising so rapidly, something has to give. And unfortunately, too often that would be employer shopping for a less comprehensive health policy, 
and the employee getting a, a very rude surprise when they when they're all of a sudden presented a bill. Let's look at it from the physician's perspective on this. Are physicians just as surprised by this lack of financial support for the patient as the patient is? I believe that physicians are they have an additional surprise. I think it pains them personally when all of a sudden they see a, a patient that uh, has to borrow against their house to pay their bill or they're hurt economically when the patient can't pay. They're driven crazy by the bureaucracy of health care. So one of the things that you do to meet the insurance companies do to the, the physicians is that, uh, and the patients is they will deny something, but only after this blizzard of paperwork. So the American healthcare system definitely has more paperwork, more bureaucracy than any other system in the world. So on the access issue, we've found out that the employers are unhappy, the insureds are unhappy, and the physicians are unhappy. So is there anybody that's happy about this lack of access? I don't think anybody's happy about it. I think everybody is, to some degree, pained when their uh, fellow citizens don't have uh, access to health care. But it doesn't seem to rise to the same level in America. Because of our heritage of sort of individualism, we sort of don't have the strong sense of community that other places have. Now, whether that's an advantage or a disadvantage, people will really argue that that gives us our aggressive individualistic spirit and makes our economy grow better. But in other countries, developed countries anyway, it would be unthinkable, unthinkable to have your neighbor go without needed health care. And in America, we seem to tolerate that much better. So let's define these three groups that we're talking about, the insured, the uninsured, and the underinsured. Who fits in those groups typically? Well, they're overrepresented by women. You have uh, overrepresented by minorities. But what you also are starting to see is even those people that are on Medicare, which most people think of as a fairly comprehensive policy. Uh, Medicare is paying less and less of the average senior's medical expenses. So what they are is generally um, economic, not entirely, but generally economically uh, stressed people, uh, poor, um, and they are sort of very much overrepresented in the minority community. So when a physician runs into this situation where they're recommending a treatment and the patient can't afford it, What is the physician supposed to do? Well, I do not think the physician has any kind of moral or certainly legal duty to go forward. I believe that the whole way that our system works, and I I don't think that the underinsured or the uninsured belong to the physician or a particular hospital. Now, some people will find that statement cruel, but one of the things that I'm trying to do in my books is sort of sort out the bundle of rights and duties that sort of each of us have in healthcare, And I believe that the uninsured, you just can't make it a burden of an individual physician or a hospital. I think they belong to the state and the nation. I think the moral duty certainly goes on the political system, but I don't think that a physician um, has a duty to necessarily go forward. Now, a lot of physicians do if it isn't a matter of uh, a terrible expense, and I think physicians continue to give a certain amount of charity care, as do hospitals. But that is even becoming more and more problematic. We find that a number of hospitals in America don't give the charity care equal to the amount of the tax exemption that we give the hospital for being a nonprofit, if it is a nonprofit. So clearly it's the political system that has the primary responsibility. 
Are any of the uninsured people who could actually afford to be insured? Yes. 10% of the people that are uninsured have incomes over $75,000. Those are not the kind of people that I'm worrying about. Um, so you really do have, when you, you have this re- recent uh, legislation in Massachusetts where you uh, mandate people to get health insurance, and they're finding that um, most people have, have to be subsidized. You can't run a health care system without having some subsidization. But clearly some of the uninsured can well buy their own policy, and I think it's, again, morally appropriate that we would require them to buy health insurance as with auto insurance. So we've dived into the access end of this paradox. Let's talk about the excess end. What, uh, what are we talking about there? Too much medical care or unneeded medical care or what? Yeah, this is the frustrating part, too. I think that there's study after study showing that, uh, for instance, in Medicare, elderly in one part of America will receive 60% more hospital services and medical procedures and consultations, whatever, than similar patients in other parts of the, of the uh, country. Um, people in um, Miami, Florida, get far more individual uh, medical care than uh, people in Minneapolis or in Portland, Oregon. Um, I think that uh, you, you then run into a battle of studies, but I think that uh, Rand Corporation, for instance, they will find as many as oh, a fourth of the hospital days, a fourth of the medical procedures, and as much as 40% of the medications actually um, are unnecessary or could be done without. So there definitely is excess in our system. And when we, we talk about those kinds of statistics, who's making those decisions? Are those physicians saying those could be done without, or are those patient advocates, or those politicians, or think tank people? Who's making those statistical decisions for us? Actually, the uh, Institute of Medicine, um, the New England Journal, had an article not too long ago that had really postulated that up to 50% of the health care that uh, was delivered in, in America sort of didn't have a direct a precedent in some study. That's, I think, a, an interesting, but I think a deceptive figure. But it's very clear that when the Institute of Medicine or other just really think tanks that are looking at this, they really come to the conclusion. The big, most famous example is the Dartmouth Health Atlas, done by Dr. Winber and uh, Elliot Fisher, a bunch of other people up at Dartmouth, where they have uh, used the um, different hospital areas to compare. Some of these things are just shocking. A woman is 30 times more likely to lose her breast with breast cancer in one part of America than another part of America. And so angioplasty, prostate operations, there's just a whole bunch of things that vary a great deal from one part of a state and another, and certainly one part of a country and another. Isn't that the individual practice of medicine, though? Aren't physicians empowered to make those individual decisions, whether it varies by county or by state or part of the country? There is, and I think that you don't want cookbook medicine, so to speak, and if you had no variations, that wouldn't be appropriate either. For instance, there's no protocol for, let's say, aftercare of a heart attack, and so you have far more physician visits in some areas than you do in another area with no difference in outcome. And so what you have is really a great deal of difference in services delivered with the same mortality and morbidity rates. And that does get frustrating because it is, in a way, one of the low-hanging fruits in healthcare. If we are delivering um, unnecessary or unneeded care, then we really better get about finding out what that is. So are you advocating that we talk about outcome-based medicine to determine what we should be paying for 
prospectively? Well, a lot of other people are talking about a, and I, and I certainly um, applaud them, a national quality agenda. There's been an awful lot of emphasis in the last 15 years on the quality agenda. Dr. Berwick and a whole bunch of very dedicated doctors are getting out there and they're really trying to look at the errors of medicine. The Institute of Medicine, of course, did that famous study. So it is the kind of thing that self-policing is having a dramatic impact on that. And as I say, to some degree, practice of medicine is an art, and I think that we do want to make sure we don't tie the hands of creative physicians. I want to thank my guest, Governor Richard Lamb, for helping us understand these access and excess issues and for moving the dialogue along that's focused on health care. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You have been listening to The Pulse of Healthcare on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.